0: congratulations, you're rich. You know, statistically, you likely qualify to make an income that's higher than 99% of the rest of the world. But man, if this is true, why don't we feel rich? What does it take to feel so much abundance that we can say in our heart of hearts, I'm rich. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast, whenever or wherever you're listening. We hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know, so that they'll feel blessed too. Do you feel rich? The problem with using income alone to gauge how rich you are is that it's a moving target. It's a relative indicator, and it's so uncertain. We always feel one step behind that other person over there who has more. But according to 1 Timothy, feeling rich has little to do with the sum total of your riches and more to do with where you put your hope. Today, Pastor Jason explores how shifting your hope from your riches to God brings abundance and fulfillment beyond measure. Let's check it out right now.
1: So, this is our second week in the Be Rich series, and if you missed it, if you missed it last week, man, you, you missed it. You gotta get on there, you gotta get online, you gotta listen, you gotta get caught up, but let me try to get you caught up. First of all, I need to say something that you might find as a surprise. Congratulations, you're rich. This is really an excuse to show that picture again. The- <laughs> Basically, what we talked about last week is, if you make $48,000 a year, total household income, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. So congratulations! Man, same reaction as last week. Nobody seems overly excited that they're rich. I mean, I don't know, I feel like, found out you won the lottery, like, hey, I'm rich. And that's because we don't always feel rich. No matter how much we have, we don't always feel rich. Rich. And I think that's just a little indicator as to the problem with putting our hope and our love and our fulfillment and all in our riches or what we have. And I mean, that's something that we all do from time to time because let, let's face it, rich people have some problems. Wealth creates some side effects. There are some side effects. Rich people live in denial. Well, I'm not rich. That person over there is rich. Right? I don't have any, that That person has any. And we live in perpetual discontentment. If you don't believe me, just think about the last time you were persuaded to upgrade something. Right? So you had something that worked. And then you paid someone to give you another thing that worked. And now I don't mean to say that when we upgrade things, get a new phone, get a new house, get a new car, whatever. That, that's inherently good or bad. It's not. Our hearts determine whether or not it's inherently good or bad. Because what happens is, we're discontent. And we think that just beyond the next purchase, just beyond the next hill to climb, just beyond the next piece of success, we're finally going to be fulfilled. And then what happens is, You climb that mountain, you upgrade that phone, whatever it is that you do, and you're really excited and happy for a very short time, and then you get discontent again and think, I want this other thing. Surely I'll be fulfilled after this next upgrade. And it doesn't happen. And of course, we, we rich people, are plagued with discontentment. So the remedy is all about where we put our hope. Last week we talked about 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world, that's you and me, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Because here's the problem. Money creates this problem of where we put our hope. We're constantly being pressured by life to put our hope in our own resources. And so it's this battle that we're constantly facing. Hope Is my hope in my riches or is my hope in the one who richly provides? We talked about it's like a closed hand and open hand. Am I putting my trust, my hope, everything that I am in my riches? Now, this doesn't usually happen on purpose. This happens by accident. Because we all walk out of this room, we're like, yes, put our hope in God. Amen. Good sermon, pastor. Let me get some coffee and a little 16th of a bagel. No, just kidding. It's inside joke if you were here. Anyway. Let's go out. And, and then what happens is we go out and we start living life. And then we are faced with a crisis. And when it comes crisis time, we forget all the nice things that we said we believed in. And we start putting our hope, our hope migrates from the one who richly provides to our own resources, because we are in lockdown mode when we're in crisis, right? When you're in crisis mode, you're like, how do I fix everything? How do I do this? I can't control the crisis, so let me control how I respond to the crisis. And so it's all about me and my resources, and how we get through this next crisis. And we wake up, and we're just like, I'm miserable. What's going on? Oh, yeah. My hope, I've. Migrated from God to in my own resources, to my own closed hand. Here's the thing. Only God, only God can fulfill you anyway. Here's what I mean. You can't go anywhere without hearing people talk about wholeness, wellness. Right? I mean, that's, that's big. Everyone tell, your insurance, insurance company tells you, sign up. For the wellness, for the wholeness plan. You hear it in the boardroom. You hear it at the retirement community. You hear it at school. You hear it absolutely everywhere. We were at Barnes & Noble last night. Uh, one of my happy places. We were at Barnes & Noble and I was just, I'm always shocked at how many books there are for like wholeness, wellness. Self-help. I'm just like, this is amazing. Dr. Oz has like 15 books. Does he change his mind every couple of years about what works? Or do they all work? I have no idea. But anyway, he's got a whole section there. And I think about it. It's not that chasing after wholeness is bad. In fact, I think that's a God-given pursuit. The problem is, you're never going to experience wholeness. And I do mean this. Never without Jesus. Never. Never you will always be missing something. You can't buy enough self-help books. You can't go to enough classes, spin classes, whatever it is, make sure. You can't get to enough things. You can't read enough articles. You can't talk to enough gurus. You can't do enough. It will always fall short if you don't have Jesus. And this is what the ancients called shalom. God's shalom was about wholeness, completeness, peace, that rests on every part of your life. You know what it's like? It's like we're trying to... You ever see those ships inside of a bottle that they make? These things are awesome. And you just stare at them thinking like, how the heck did they pull that? Like, how did they do that? Well, I did a little research, so let me enlighten you. They don't build it in the bottle. You probably knew that. That would be impossible. Okay, I'm gonna get my little bitty sandpaper, I'm <laughs> gonna get my block of wood and get my little paintbrush. No, they don't build it in the bottle. They figure out a way to put it in after they've built it on the outside. If the bottle is us and the ship and what's inside of it represents wholeness, completeness, that ship. It's not something that we can make from the inside. It's gotta be imported from God it's got to be brought into us it is physically impossible and spiritually impossible for us to do it on our own when it comes to our wholeness and fullness and fulfillment it's only something that God in the end can give we could try but it doesn't stop us from trying We're trying to build that thing on the inside and it kind of looks like I would expect me trying to build that would look So how do we make sure that our hope doesn't migrate? How do we make sure that we are trusting in the one who provides us with everything we need and more? How do we change how we view our stuff? How do we change how we view what we have and don't have? How, what's the remedy for the side effects of wealth? Well, this is what he talks about in the next verse. 1 Timothy six eighteen. He starts by saying, command them to do good. Who's he saying? Rich people, us. Command them to do good. Let's just pause right there. I love that the response is an action item. It's a call to action. It's not just be good. It's not believe you're good. It's not agree with the God who is good. It's do good. It's an action. And he continues command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Ah, there it is. So all of you rich people, it's great, you're rich, but listen, I want you to be rich in another way. I want you to be rich in good deeds. Be rich in what you do. By the fact that you have been blessed by God, how do you do something with that blessing for others? But then us rich people, we have a lot of excuses. Maybe you've heard this one. Yeah, I would love to sign up and help you. Like it's great and everything, we're all helping each other, yada yada, we love each other, all that stuff. But have you seen my calendar recently? I just want to remind you of my calendar. Where's Lindsay? Is Lindsay in the room? She hates when I show this picture. It stresses her out to see all the things on the calendar. But this is what we do, is say, I would love to help, I just don't have the time, man. Sorry. I'm busy. I can't do it. Can't sign up. Can't be rich in good deeds because I'm too busy. Okay. Now I get it. And by the way, this isn't just people who are working. I've heard this from retired people too, who are just like, Yeah, I retired and I thought I was gonna relax. I'm way busier than I, I should start working again. We're all busy. But let's do a little math. If you work 60 hours a week, now, don't check out, because you're like, 60 hours, that would be a dream. Work 90 hours. Okay, great. Just work with me here. Don't tune out. If you work 60 hours a week and sleep 8 hours a night, you're like, yeah, right. That that was 14. Just relax. Don't get cranky on me. If you sleep 8 hours a night, you have still... 52 hours a week. So like if you sleep less, you might have more. If you work more, you might have 52 hours. What are we doing with all that extra time? Like if you factor in like showers and like, I don't know, see, you got like 40 hours to play with. That's 40 hours. We don't have any time to be rich in our good deeds for this world around us. And I start thinking about Whenever I think think about myself, I'm like, man, what am I doing with all my time? Oh, I know what I'm doing with my time. (laughs) Maybe I'm binging Stranger Things on Netflix. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sure none of you struggle with that. That could be a time suck. That could be a time suck. Listen, we all need to be honest a, a bit about our time, I think. Like, yes, we're busy, but we could make some time to serve, to give, to love, to be rich in our good deeds the way that we're called to in Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, I don't know. When I was growing up, and maybe this is a West Coast thing. I'm looking at you, Larry, because you, West Coast, is this a West Coast thing to say we need time to veg out? Do you say that out here? You don't say that, do you? We say, I need time to Veg. I just need to veg out, man, which is code, and let me unpack it for you, I don't want to assume anything, I'm going to be like a vegetable and not do anything. So, we all need time to decompress, this is really, really important and healthy, but listen, I mean, 10 hours of decompression, you still got about 30 hours to work with, right, so I'm not saying you shouldn't take time for yourself, You, you must, that's a must, but we all have more time than I think we realize. Because the truth is, when you have extra of something, the tendency is to waste it. That includes our time. Now here's the beautiful thing. This is beautiful the beautiful thing about being part of a church. This is one of the many reasons it matters to be part of a church. Because listen, you, on your own, with your limited amount of time, you can't go to every local mission agency in the area. You don't have time to understand their financial practices, to vet them for, to see how they do their work, to build a relationship of trust with them. You may have time to do that with one organization. You certainly don't have time to do that with all of them. Here's what we've done for you. We, have, we are maximizing your time. This church, we have chosen local missions... That we have a relationship with. We know how they spend their money. We have been partners with them a long time. And we've set everything up for you. So all you have to do is show up. All you have to do is show up. And all of us, all of us should be able to make the time to go serve at the Pan Am Motel. All of us should be able to make the time to do one Saturday a year at lunch break. All of us should have the time. We've made the hard part go away. It's all the easy part. You simply show up and there's an opportunity for you. That's really what this Be Rich campaign is about. It's about giving you some easy steps to make a difference. Things that don't take a whole lot of time. You, while you're already at the grocery store, fill the manna bag. Right? right? While you're already at church, when we do the pancake breakfast, sign up for the Christmas event. While you're already, com- we're already on your phone, text the 3995 to the church. I did it this morning. It was super easy. Although I did have the thought like, what if this is going to like another country? Like I, it's not. I got an email verifying it because there's that little bit of fear. But the thing is, these are easy steps for you to take to start to what? To start to let go, to be rich in good deeds, to trust in the one who richly provides. And like anybody who's served anybody has ever known, that does something to you. And this is how good God is. As he's blessing others through us, he is also blessing us. You know this. You know when you've gone to serve somebody else, it's like magic. You go on a mission trip, you go help out somewhere, and all of a sudden you feel great. Why? Because you're not thinking about yourself for five minutes. You're blessing somebody else, and that does something to you. Generosity is as much about you as it is the people you're serving and what God is doing in your heart. And that's the kicker. It's about your heart. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. There's actually two Greek words in there. Whenever in Scripture something is repeated, it's meant to be emphasized. And there's actually two different words that are very similar about being generous. And that is for emphasis. Like, it doesn't want you to just be generous, but to be really, really generous. But rich people aren't usually the most generous. Some of them are, but not always. And that's us, remember. We're not just talking about rich people you're thinking about it in your head. That's us. There's a really wonderful moment in Scripture I want to share with you in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus points out something. First of all, Jesus is people watching, which is awesome because I think that's me at the Mammoth Mall. (laughs) Me and Jesus. (laughs) Not judging, just watching, observing. Mostly. And then, but Jesus is people watching at the temple. And what was happening was Everybody was putting their offerings into the temple treasury. Now, this is different than church today. It was like another category of what it was like. They had a whole temple treasury because they had to maintain. I mean, listen, they had all these gold items in the temple. They had all these expensive things. It was for everybody to pitch in to pay for God's house, basically, which is a different way. I think some people still think that's what giving to church is about. It's not. It's about giving to the mission of God. More on that in a minute. But everybody's putting their money in the temple treasury. And, of course, the really rich people are making a spectacle of it. Because they want everybody to know how much they're giving. And then you have a very poor woman give her money at the same time. And Jesus calls his disciples together. And this is what he says. This is what happens. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. What he's saying is rich people need to be generous like that. Not that you have to take, necessarily take everything that you own and put it in a, a church or a nonprofit or whatever that is. What he's saying is it's about your heart. That's what this is all about. It's about your heart. Giving is about your heart. And in the process of fulfilling you, giving you God's Shalom, giving you God's wholeness, you are also going to be a blessing to others. Everybody wins. You know, financially, the widow's gift had negligible impact on the temple treasury, right? But in God's kingdom economy, it's been immortalized in Scripture for all of us, thousands of years later. Jesus saw what she did as the example. What's that example? It's about our hearts. It's not about the amount. What matters to Jesus is the heart of the giver. And then we, we talk about, well, when we start giving to church or we give to all these things. And, and then it feels more like, not like our heart is moved to give, but that it's more of an obligation. It's like paying my taxes or something. And it's, it sucks the heart right out of it when we talk about giving sometimes in the life of the church. And we're all trained, you and I, to give emotionally, to be emotional givers. If, you're, if you grew up like me in the 80s, you remember Sally Struthers. She'd come on, feed the children. they show these poor children, and it was so depressing. But what? And it was very manipulative, because what they're trying to do, they want you to give money to the children. Ah, uh, Sally Struthers, those were the days, right? Or, the big one, USA for Africa. We are the world, we are the children. If Michael Jackson can sing it, I can give. I can give to Africa. Or, nowadays, today's version is Sarah McLaughlin. It's like, if you see this, come on, just run. Took you a minute. Right? This is going to ruin your day. You turn this on. I will remember. Oh, God, no. Okay, I'll give. How much? Because we've all been trained to give emotionally. But then we start talking about God's mission and, and the church and everything. And it's like, well, we have to tithe. And so we tithe because we tithe. And that's what God wants from us. Genesis 28 says I will give one-tenth of all that you give me I will give one-tenth and then we start doing this weird game is that like gross or net (laughs) does he mean like figuratively 10% or is does it mean and what happens is it sucks the heart right out of giving and then we give with like okay that's not what God wants for us Listen, don't get hung up on, well, it's got to be this percent, this percent. Maybe, maybe you feel led that that is between you and God, and that's what you need to do. But don't let that hold you. Don't let that damage your heart for being rich, for being generous, for giving. Because remember, your generosity is about what God is doing in you first. And when we start giving to people, we start feeling rich. It's amazing. It's amazing. I was thinking about... You know, I could just explain to you why why I give to the church. Not just because I'm a pastor. I could probably give, and there's only a handful of people that would ever know I didn't give anything. But I do choose to give. And Karen and I chose to give electronically. Why? Because when you're the pastor, they don't pass you the plate. Which is nice. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well. They don't pass you the plate because I think everybody feels awkward about handing the pastor the plate. So there were some weeks where I would just forget because I got a couple other things going on Sunday morning. So we got into e-giving because I wanted to pre-decide that we would dedicate a certain amount to God's mission and to take, and that it wouldn't only be when I felt emotionally driven that I would make it like, God's mission is emotion enough for me to give to. And why do I give? Well, I think about, I'm going to just tell you a quick story. You have just enough time for the story. Um, When I was doing youth ministry, there was this kid in my youth group named Alan. Uh, Alan, uh, he was small for his age. He came in as a little sixth grader. And he immediately got tossed around by a giant kid named Vern. And uh, he was, but he was always up for anything, he always, if you're going to play a game, he's jumping in. He's going to play the game. He's getting, he was always into everything. And um, eventually, I think it was through one of our trips, he really started to turn his heart to focus on God. This, And he was young. He was seventh or eighth grade. And I would call him one of the most dedicated people, not just kids, to Jesus Christ that, that I've met in my life. I mean, he was sold out for God early. I also remember... Um, he became he quickly became a leader, um, but he also he had some attention deficit stuff going on, and so he had a hard time staying focused. But he always his heart was always in the right place. We'd go on a trip. He'd always want to meet other people. He'd always want to help. He always wanted to hey, how can we give money to that person who's homeless sitting there over there on the street? He was always had a heart for that. And as he got older, what he did uh, was sort of amazing. So I'm sure you're not familiar. Some of you might be familiar with hardcore metal. But it's basically, it's literally screaming and shouting. Like you can't really hear the words. And it's like speed metal. It's really fast. He, it was a genre of music that he liked. But he noticed. He said, you know, I'm going to these shows. And they, they, they're all lost. They don't know Jesus. What if I could bring Jesus to them? So he started a Christian Hardcore band, which is like the total oxymoron, with lyrics about Jesus, and he had an opportunity to witness to that crowd like nobody else could have. He later went on, and he has been still serving uh, as a mission coordinator, a big part of the mission team of an inner city Philadelphia church. Why do I share this story with you? He's also just one of the people I love the most in life. He's just awesome. But here's the thing. I don't know what would have happened in his life, but I can say this. He grew in his faith in Jesus as a direct result of a church deciding they were going to be rich and give to a youth program, to give to the church, to pay my salary as a youth director, to live, to pay for the events that we went on, to pay for the mission trips, to pay for... The... That was all a direct result of giving. Giving is directly tied to the mission of God. I don't know what would have happened in Alan's life. I'm sure God would have grabbed his heart at some point. He seemed destined for it. On the other hand, it was a direct result of people like you and me saying, yeah, I want, I'm going to be rich, and I'm going to give. And how many lives have been changed just through Alan because of that church? You see, it's about our hearts. We want to give to God's mission. Here's a few ideas to get you started. And this is why we did this. This is why we do the Be Rich Camp campaign. We want to give you some easy wins. The first is to give that $39.95. Now, just to be clear, we, it's going all to a local mission, every penny of it. Like, we're not, there's no administrative fee that we're, like, skimming off. Like, there's nothing. We are the offering plate. It's coming in, and then we're handing it out. That's a great way for us to start to, to give, to feel that generosity. And by the way, you're not limited to $39.95. Right? But we want to bless a local mission that we love, that we support. That could be an easy way for you to do that. Again, I, I did it on text this morning. super easy. The next thing that you can do is you can pick an area to serve. So, uh, in two weeks, no, not two weeks, next week already, the 18th, is uh, what we call the Sunday of Thanksgiving. We had the pancakes and everything. There's going to be a sign-up for you to help out with the lunch break Christmas distribution. Sign up. Be a part of it. If you can't do that one, just look at our bulletin. Look at our website. There are tons of mission opportunities for you to say yes to. And then the third, decide on generosity. You could do the manna bags. Be rich in good deeds. As you go out the door, pick up a manna bag. Bring it back next week. These are easy ways for you to start exercising, the pra- doing the practice of the open hand, of trusting in the one who richly provides, of being rich in good deeds. And you will notice that God in the process is doing something in you. Because that's the thing. It's not that God wants something from you. He doesn't want, well, you've got to give me... Uh, exactly this amount or it's no good no he wants you to give because he wants to give you something he wants to fill the bottle with the ship he wants you to experience God's wholeness God's peace God's shalom it's all part of what he's doing in your life I think the first step is if we can just acknowledge that we got some issues with money and then just give that over to God okay God I don't know how you're going to fix this in me but that's it. I've got issues. Show me how to give, how to be rich in good deeds. Imagine if all of us started doing that. Imagine if all of us, if this church was known for how we take care of people in the community, for how generous we are in giving. Like if someone... Tower Hill comes up in a conversation. You're like, oh, that church, man. They're so generous. There'd be so many organizations and people who would really miss it if they were gone. Hey, we're all rich. I think God wants to teach us how to be rich. Amen. Amen.